I would say he is the lithium cathode OG. Well, you're more than generous. <laughs> Word. The best. Hey, Joe. Hey, Emily. The first. 15 that the lithium market was showing signs of, of movement. Um, a lot of people were talking about EVs and the potential of EVs. This was in early 2015. As many members of the lithium community know, I did a crowdfund for a short film that I wrote and directed. And even a little bit about our culture too. Like I feel that's an important element to be sharing with, with people outside the company. And, and yes, that is a deliberate strategy. Um, You're listening to the Global Lithium Podcast. Today's episode of the Global Lithium Podcast is brought to you by Zalandes, a Brian Fields services company active in the lithium space. Zalandes aims to improve on ineffective geoscience technologies and techniques used in brine operations by providing more data, faster, and bringing actionable insights to their clients in hours rather than days. You can find them at www.zelandez.com. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z. Hey, Joe. Hey, Emily. You ready for some podcasts? Very ready. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Hirsch. And I'm your other co-host, Joe Lowry. And we are joined today in a sunny, brisk winter afternoon in a bohemian neighborhood of Santiago de Chile by Dr. Yuan Gao of Pulid. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gao. Thank you. Good to be here. It's good to have you. We're glad you found the place. Not too difficult. <laughs> it's, uh, I like that when Joe told you that uh, it was a little bit run down, you came back and told me that it was a bohemian. Exactly. It's where artists live. <laughs> I wouldn't call it run down. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. I stand about. corrected. So this today, is like a lot in quarter in Paris. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Down and out in uh, London and Paris, Joe. Boom. Literary and musical. Well, he just, he's just been in Paris, so. Oh, yeah. There you uh, go. Two weeks ago. Two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. And so this is like just being back in Paris. Exactly. Fresh impression. Santiago, the city of light. <laughs> so we are going to, Dr. Gao is one of the, I would say, most capable person of talking about cathode chemistries and lithium content in cathode chemistries probably... Probably in the world, Joe. I would say he is the lithium cathode OG. Well, you're more than generous. <laughs> Word. So today we're going to talk about uh, how Dr. Gao got where he is today, um, how you and Joe met in your former employer, uh, and then your current path now and your role in Pulid as well as where you see some of the critical issues in the lithium industry, such as the concepts of lithium intensity and different types of cathodes, where you see cathode and battery chemistry going, um, the selection or the demand for different lithium chemicals by um, cathode chemistry, as well as some of what's going on in China, uh, especially just having a quick chat about the whole Qinghai brine 
space and anything that comes up along the way. So, without further ado. This is Ice T. Get to the point. Ten years ago, I used to listen to rapid flow, talking about the way they rock the mic at the disco. Let's just get into the origin story. So, okay. Where were you born and raised? Okay. Yeah, let me uh, explain a little bit where I'm from. I was born in Beijing and grew up in Beijing. I actually uh, went to a elementary school called Sino-Cuban Friendship Elementary School. <laughs> I give the color of the age. Um, then I uh, went to a number four high school in Beijing, which is a very good school, equivalent to Eton School in England, and went to University of Science and Technology of China, uh, where I studied theoretical physics very, very far from lithium-ion battery. But at that time, I've never heard of a lithium battery, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I was aspired to become a theoretical physicist, studying... What is a theoretical physicist? Oh. Is it like uh, Schrodinger's cat and those types of... Yeah, someone who can work with uh, some piece of paper, with uh, a pencil. Um developing some equations, okay. uh, funny symbols, <laughs> uh, Greek symbols. Um, then I uh, went to uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver, uh, where I changed my subject from theoretical physics to semiconductor physics, or s more practical. So what year? What, yeah, what year was that? Oh, 1987. The semiconductor industry was ago. a big deal back then, right? Was uh, the exactly. Actually, I was wandering around uh, trying to find an advisor. First, I talked to a professor specialized in black hole because I was still up there in the air. <laughs> um, and someone told me, well, you would not have very good job prospects. Now, I was in a capitalist world. I needed to be concerned about my earning capability. Uh, so I took advice from uh, some senior students. I found an advisor uh, in, who is a famous in semiconductor, as experimental too. Yep, and I, when I was about to finish my PhD, I met a guy called uh, Jeff Dunn, uh, who was leaving a lithium battery company called Molly Energy near Vancouver to become professor at Simon Fraser University. So he came to our group trying to learn a new experimental technique called synchrotron radiation. So my advisor, Tom TJ, said, Yuan, uh, why don't you work with him, teach him all the uh, ropes? Uh, <coughs> Then Jeff convinced me, so he said, well, there's no future for you in semiconductor. Every company is cutting 3-5. A 3-5 stands for things like gallium arsenide. So I was very uh, interested in that kind of a wafer, very clean. So he brought some dirty black powders to our lab. Um, it was uh, lithium nickel oxide and graphite. So I was like, this is a very dirty sample. I'm studying very clean ultra-hot vacuum 
high value added stuff. So he wouldn't give up. Every night we were doing night shift together at the experimental station at Singletron in Brookhaven National Lab on Long Island, New York. He was trying to teach me how interesting lithium-ion battery was, how important it was. And he said, when you graduate, come to work for me as a postdoc. So, so my wife was not finishing her school for another two years. So I didn't want to leave Vancouver. I said, well, two years postdoc sounds good. So I don't have to leave Vancouver. Uh, well, I'll try battery materials. Maybe then I will come back to semiconductor. So, uh, so many, uh, that's, well, uh, and that just was 94. For, for context, Jeff Dom is kind of like an icon in, yeah. the, in the battery world. Right, If you're right. not familiar yeah. with the name, he is... One of the pioneers yeah, in lithium-ion yeah. battery. Yes, sure. And he's still very, very active yeah. today. And he's not very old. He's only five years older than me. So he's uh, my age. <laughs> right, exactly. Same as you. Exactly. So he's still active. Now he's in Dalhousie University in Canada, and he worked with uh, Tesla. Um, but like anyway, Dr. Dom might so, want to be on this, uh, this here. So podcast. that's how I got into lithium ion battery materials. I wouldn't call it a trapped into this. But anyway, I wanted to come back to semiconductor two years later. But now I'm still, it's uh, 25 years later, I'm still in this field. Okay, so you were in Vancouver and your bride eventually graduated and 96 he graduated so then you make your way to charlotte north carolina so i was giving a talk in 95 in chicago electrochemical society meeting someone called barry russell came to my talk he said i flew to chicago to listen to your talk on lucid magnetic oxide spin out I was very, imp oh, he basically said, I'm very busy. I need to leave for another meeting. I need to fly back to Sh Charlotte. For a poor academic, I was very impressed. I was like, wow, this guy, very, very important. He flew in to listen to a talk, and he had to, he's so busy, he had to fly back. He said, uh, where's my two of my colleagues? Please talk to them. We want you to come to work for us. Anyway, I reported to work. Uh, that was uh, November 95, so I came to work May 96. That's where I met Joe Lowry. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job, had second hands. Moms bounced on old men, so then we moved to Shannon. Tell me about your first memories of knowing Joe. This was when you were both at FMC, right? Oh yes. So I want some. I want some early days. Like, what? What do you remember about meeting this upstart guy he, in the commercial department? He had to teach department? me basics, is what he probably. Oh no! Oh, uh, actually, I still vividly remember uh, our first meeting. It was in Alastair Conference Room, at Bessemer City, where that's uh, the main plant and R and D of FMC Lucent was. And we're discussing the importance of losing carbonate spec for castle. Um, I think you came in with Cheryl, and uh, yeah. I was with Marina and some other people. 
So I think that's right before you had to meet with some Japanese customers. Yeah, that's correct. So we're trying to uh, to come up with a reasonable. Yeah, this, uh, this was well. early days of lithium ion, and I mean, people always talk about. 91 being commercialization, but really it didn't get traction with mm -hmm. volumes until 95, 96. And we made 100% of the battery materials at that point for mm -hmm. lithium materials were made in Bessemer City. We had 100% of the market. And so specs were being, everything was being improved and demands were being mm -hmm. made. And so we had to get people who had a clue, not just guys like me who ran around trying to raise price. Um, so that's why well, he became the icon of my battery life. Well, the other thing uh, left a lasting impression was I was a new employee at the entry level, probably. And my boss at that time they said, hey, uh, this afternoon we're going to have a meeting with some senior executive. So here came Joe Lowry, and he was very down to earth. I was very impressed because... Some other executives <laughs> <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work like that. Joe, you, your folksy sayings. I tell you what, I I I was smart enough to know what I didn't know, and I didn't know much, so I went to somebody who knew. Well, so and then over your time working together, you in the research and development division, Joe in the commercial division, I've heard rumor that you traveled to Asia together. Oh, yes. That was uh, several years later. I actually, uh, my boss, a group leader, left company uh, less than a year. I joined FMC, so I was promptly promoted to uh, that position. Um, then I started to get exposure mm -hmm. to outside of R&D, and I started to visit our customer initially in Japan. Uh, so that's when we started uh, traveling together, visiting Customers in Japan. Actually, in those days, I had I had the leisure to travel a long time, like a two or three weeks. I would come to Japan, spend two or three weeks there. Uh, we had a joint venture there called uh, Hangzhou FMC Energy Systems in Osaka. So, yeah, we had a lot of time together. Do you have any fun stories, any anecdotes that stand out? Oh, yes. Oh, one story. <laughs> oh, it's actually, it happened several times. So Joan and I would uh, walk into a Japanese restaurant. Um, then the waiter or waitress would talk Japanese to me. Um, I would look very confused. Then Joe, by my side, would answer, would take the question in Japanese and the waiter or waitress would be stunned I said this Nihongjin wouldn't answer me and Gaijin just answered me in perfect Japanese yeah no it was it was one of the joys of being in Japan with uh, Yuan and then uh, I can remember one time we were in Shenzhen during the day before the fall festival, it was the first time yeah. I had a mooncake. <laughs> right, right, right. I think yep. we had saw, was, seen uh, BYD and, and yep, so, what yep, is this yep. mooncake thing? What is a mooncake? And well, it's a sweet pie. It's a very calorically dense treat served in 
whenever the the mid-autumn festival is right. and it, it moves with the calendar but it's usually it's september or something yeah you know? it's the uh, eighth month on the lunar calendar All on right. the 15th as a full moon so you gotta uh, eat a moon cake well right. moon cakes are a big deal because very you got, sweet you, you <coughs> get, everybody gave their customers moon cakes it's like an alfajor and it's like mooncakes like this big with 1500 calories it's enough exactly <laughs> very sweet oh also um it's very important uh for chinese culture because a full moon symbolizes um perfection because okay. the moon can be uh, missing well from the earth perspective it can be very small missing some part so on the 15th of the lunar calendar it's a it's a perfect moon And the eighth month on the calendar, usually it's, uh, it's a harvesting time. So the ancient days, it's like Oktoberfest. Harvest time, full moon, perfection, family reunion, everything perfect. You better get me a mooncake next year, Joe. Well, you know, now they've, they've gotten, by the time I moved to China, you could get Haagen-Dazs mooncake coupons, <laughs> and they just... Hand, instead of handing the mooncakes out, you handed coupons and then you went to wherever you wanted to get and traded them in for that ice cream no, mooncakes. Okay. Mooncakes are, I love mooncakes. So, if you I don't, don't have a blood sugar problem. Yeah. I don't know if you got an Asian store in Buenos Aires. But We, I live really close to Barrio Chino, well, the Chinese neighborhood. Well, so, I'm sure you can get a mooncake there. Exactly. So, anyway, let's so. just transition to things more cathodic than mooncakes. If you had one shot, one opportunity, seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture? We sort of have a constant conversation, our listeners listen to, you know, there's lots of different flavors, as Joe puts it, of cathodes, mm -hmm. your LFP, NCA, um, NCO, NMC, LCO. LCO. Can you tell us like a, your kind of Reader's Digest version of what are the different types of cathodes and what makes battery makers choose one type of cathode versus the other? So Pulit is a cathode maker, correct? Exactly. And that means you sell those dirty powders that Jeff... Well, now I wouldn't call with. it dirty powders yeah. anymore. Uh, I'm no longer with semiconductor industry, so I, I love black powders. Yeah. So you, you sell black powders to the mm -hmm. likes of Panasonic or the likes mm -hmm. of your battery cell makers mm -hmm. as the cathode maker. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the different types of cathode. What makes them different? What defines the demand for different types of cathode and how Pooley makes the decision of what cathode blends to make? Sure, yeah, okay. Um, the first cathode actually FMC made, also Pooley made, is LCO. Um, Yeah, different uh, batteries have different need uh, for different things. So, uh, for instance, uh, lithium-ion battery first was used for consumer electronics. That's why LCO was the first castle. And LCO, I would say, it's a pretty good castle, and very reliable, very consistent, uh, well-rounded. Um, you can manage the safety, everything except. Um, if it's not because the scarcity of cobalt or volatility of a cobalt price, I would think LCO 
is the sort of a generic castle that's suitable for, you can engineer LCO for high power, high energy, high density, press density, whatever. How but, do you engineer a cathode? Oh, you can, uh, for instance, you can add dopant to increase stability. You put coating on the surface to reduce the reaction with the electrolyte for longevity. And you can uh, increase the porosity to increase power or reduce porosity to increase press density to increase uh, volumetric energy density. So you can engineer many different versions of LCO for many different applications. However, there's one problem people worry about cobalt. Um, so 